Welcome to episode 8 of Blue Jays Happy Hour, a podcast that was originally named appropriately and then was slightly inappropriate and now is appropriate again as an ironic name. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne, and I'm joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, just how are you feeling right now with the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays? I mean, like anyone else, not great. It's, uh, I mean, anybody who follows my work will notice that I haven't been writing a ton lately because this team sucks to write about. It's not real fun right now. Uh, And, you know, you just end up repeating yourself about the obvious problems, which are obvious, and and one in particular, uh, which of course is the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, we did the bullpen last week. I don't want to do it again with revised grades. There's only so much you can say. <laughs> yeah, it, it is repetitive. You know, you gotta like this team's lineup still. You've gotta generally feel okay about the rotation, despite sort of the Ryu issues. And you know, Stephen Matz, you'd like to think is going to come back relatively soon. Um, and the bullpen is just this horrendous tire fire that's dragging the entire thing down. And Oftentimes, people oversimplify when a team runs into struggles, but there's nothing to oversimplify here. There's one component of, and I know that the offense has slowed down in a couple of games and could have been better, but that's not the problem. The problem right now is the bullpen, and part of that is the fact so many guys are sitting on the IL. Like You can't totally blame it on, oh, this team constructed a horrible bullpen. Well, not necessarily, but you know, kind of their top four or five guys pretty much got injured, and then Romano can't be used as often as he'd like for reasons we don't really know about. And it is a dire situation. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, and it's one that they're not really doing anything about with a lot of urgency, which is becoming very frustrating, I think, for a lot of people, understandably, because it's like, you know, they don't have a ton of great options in the minors, but I... I, I think, you know, you've, you've seen the failure over and over with the same guys that they have. Like, I, I don't understand why. You know, how Thomas important Hatch is, is still it? Being yeah, a starter I was just going to yeah. say, how important is it to stretch out Thomas Hatch? Like, this guy in his mid-20s, he's never really been a starter and your rotation is fine. But his development is suddenly more important. We know he can be a big part of the bullpen and he's healthy. Like, he needs to be there yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's... You know, I Nate Pearson, you want to, like, I get that maybe that's different. That's probably different. But also, it's like, you know, when you talk about the development stuff, it's just, it's a wrinkle, right? If you're, if you're like, well, he ended up in the bullpen for a year, you could, it's a, it's a setback, but it doesn't necessarily change what these guys are going to ultimately be. It just maybe shifts the timeline a little bit and, and, I think we're at a stage where some of these guys who you're looking at as starters uh, can come and help the big league team and probably should be doing that because, you know, you'll you'll figure it out next year and you'll get them back on the right path. But there there are there are two things to weigh in their development and versus, you know, this season going down the toilet rapidly. And I think that uh, the latter one is probably what should be the focus right now. Yeah, I mean, it is an immensely frustrating time for the Blue Jays, for the fans. But I think, you know, the manager, Charlie Montoya, wants you guys to know that if you are frustrated with the team, you're wrong. Uh, This most recent (laughs) quote last night was just truly baffling. And I just got to read it word for word from Keegan Matheson. We're having fun. We're working hard. To be fair, emphasis my own. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the only one who's seen us, but that's what people need to know. We're working hard. We're taking ground balls, trying to get better every day, and people are in a good mood. People are not in a good mood. Like <laughs> There's only so much that you can say. It's just not true. Like, you can tell when you watch Vladdy on the bench like in despair for lack of a better word and i hate to be the body language doctor type of guy but (laughs) right people people are not in a good mood and the team is not in a good place and you want i understand that montoyo thinks that keeping this even keel is going to be beneficial to this team especially a young team they need to know not to get too high not to get too low and to be fair everyone clamors for john gibbons gibbons was kind of that way as well in moments Mm. of crisis but at a certain point you have to wonder whether that's serving the players and whether the players are going to find that inauthentic at a certain point. Like you talked about a lack of urgency. Yeah. This is the time for urgency. Like they are, we are early in the season, but only sort of, and they're really slipping out of the picture with pretty strong contenders to win the wild. Card. I'm not even talking about the division. Like you can kind of forget about that with strong contenders for the wild card across the AL and the Yankees haven't even woken up yet. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's absolutely correct. The, the the we're happy, the good mood stuff is, it's strange, and it's like you know, if the Jays' objective was to ask their manager to just lie all the time and try to be convincing, they they don't have the right guy. Uh, and if Charlie thinks that that's what his bosses want to hear, I think that's a problem. And if if they don't, if they would be, you know, maybe if they prefer somebody to be more authentic. They, they really need to tell him that because that stuff just, you know, I, a lot of the, and this is something I've, I've written in a piece that probably won't be up by the time this podcast is out. But, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the criticism of the PR stuff and of, of the messaging for me comes down to, you know, oh, people are kind of people who are savvy enough and aware of, of like how the industry operates on that level and what. You know, all the all, all the things that go into that are kind of like, you know, when you get mad at it, it's like you're asking to be lied to better. But people notice when you're lying and when you're lying badly and it's weird and it creates issues of its own in terms of consumer confidence, for example, which if you've been on Twitter this week, you will have noticed. And if the thing is that Charlie and and both Charlie and the, the team itself think that saying we're happy we're in a good mood is is you know the right thing to do the right posture to 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 act to to show to their players i think that's just goofy right like i don't i i, I don't I, good luck with that but i just don't think the players are gullible enough to 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 get benefit out of something that's just so obviously not true and i know he wants to elevate the mood and keep things light but uh yeah it's I think it's okay to admit that this sucks right now. Yeah, it's important to remember that major league players are often wired very differently from the way we're wired. So sometimes things that will motivate a player or galvanize them wouldn't be the same thing that it would be for you. So you'll hear a manager say something and you'll say, that doesn't resonate with me. um, And therefore you'll assume it doesn't resonate with the players. And sometimes that's not fair. But in this case, like... Again, I don't want to be the big vibe check guy. I don't want to be the big body language reading guy. But we have sort of this concrete evidence, right? Like Wednesday was a perfect example. All these weird things happen, right? Like Stripling gets into it with Joe Panic out of nowhere. 
Uh, and, you know, that's just something you don't see a veteran pitcher do. And mm. under most circumstances, he knows better. He tweeted kind of immediately after the game that that was embarrassing and that he knows better. We saw, you know, how Guerrero looked at the end of the game and he had committed that mistake. So it wasn't necessarily him being frustrated with the rest of the team. But, you know, he, he's been frustrated with the bullpen before. We've seen some of those looks on the bench. And then Montoyo, you know, everyone wanted Montoyo to get tossed at the end of the game on that, you know, that blown call on the foul ball. And that is one of the things that, you know, does that change the outcome? No. Could you argue that just sort of a performative display of anger is silly? Yes, you could make that argument. At the same time, from what I know about Major League players, that is something that probably does galvanize them a little bit. It is probably something that they want to see as their manager showing that it's not acceptable for them to be hosed like this and standing up for his players. And he didn't really rise to the occasion in that moment. And, you know, is that a disaster? How many wins does that cost you? Does he lose the room? I don't know. It's impossible to quantify all of that. But that game in particular stood out because it had all these little instances of a team that is not having fun right now. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, uh, play, it on, play it under protest at the very least. Uh, <laughs> get something done about that absurd rule that you can't review that play and you can review Uh, a hit by like a hit by pitch which is the same thing it's like did a ball touch an object if the object is a person you can review it if it's a bat it's a no yeah which is which is absurd and nothing to do with charlie but it all just gets you know poured into the same disgusting soup uh, of of dislike that we're all sort of (laughs) sitting in now uh, yeah we're living in a soup for sure yeah (laughs) And it's interesting because something you brought up in one of your recent pieces was about how 2021 represents this opportunity. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. And it is it is true. It's easy to see this team as a team full of guys in their early 20s who are going to be good for a long time. But on the flip side of that, the guys that they have who are going to be free agents at the end of the year, you know, Semyon. Matt's Ray, these guys are going to be very difficult to replace. You've got a Yankees team that will be better in the future. If they even if they don't come back this year in 22 2023, they've got the prospects, they've got the resources. Like they're not going to stay down for long. And you know, Vladdy probably isn't going to be this good again, not because he's not incredible, but just because this is the type of run that is you know it's historic. And, you know, we saw what happened with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was the top prospect in all of baseball. He finally broke through with this huge MVP season, and he never quite matched that again. I don't know if that's Vladdy's trajectory, but sometimes when guys have seasons like this, it's not like that's going to be their established level forever. So there's all these elements of things coming together in 2021 that might not in the future, and suddenly it looks like that opportunity is getting likelier and likelier to be squandered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Jays will have money. This is what I wrote in the, the piece as well. You know, they're they're clearly saving financial flexibility to play the free agent market next year, and they're going to be able to do some things. And they've got some really exciting prospects coming, but it's going to take some time for Austin Martin to to you know establish himself as a big league, as we've seen with Vlad and with Bo and with, with Biggio and some of these guys. It takes a while sometimes. So like the gaps between when the when when the next wave is really hitting its peak uh, need to be filled in, and you know you don't always spend your money wisely like it, you know that you're hit that you've hit on ray and semi in particular 
like so well like you you would have to spend a lot of money to get that the production that they've given you and that's that even still wouldn't be a guarantee like Semyon has been ridiculous and so has ray like uh the you know those are just two pieces but the but but yeah those are two pieces who are going to go away or who are going to get much more expensive which will make everything else more difficult going forward so like this is this is a big year even though it's early in the 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 championship window of the toronto blue jays uh it's a big year and I think it needs to be treated as such. And right now it, it I know there's not a lot the front office can do, but, but, but they can, they, I, you know, we've seen teams make trades. We've seen, you know, you got to do something. And, and it's now, you know, earlier in the week, it was like, you got to make trades. And now it's like, you just, please just call up somebody different who can maybe get somebody out. Like it's Patrick Murphy, but, man. He could do, yeah, I actually like, do like Patrick Murphy. I'm not, not even joking. I think he could be a part of that puzzle. But Thomas Hatch, like you said, yeah, anyone, not Jeremy Beasley. I'm yeah. not giving up on my boy Anthony Castro. I know I <laughs> gave him way too much confidence last week for having this week. But if you look at some of the underlyings, his expected ERA is still under four. Like he's not, you know, it'll, I think that might come around maybe too late. He might be gone from the team by the time it does. Yeah, I, I don't like to invoke the 2015 Toronto Blue Jays because that feels like hyperbole whenever you do that. But mm-hmm. I am starting to see some similarities where you have this really, really good lineup and you have an opportunity. In that case, the Red Sox and Yankees were down. In this case, it's more the Yankees, but potentially the Red Sox later on if they fall off. They're trash. I still don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, well, good enough to beat the Blue Jays, two out of three. Wow. Um, yeah, no, but there, there was a specific opportunity. There was a really good lineup and there was an MVP level hitter on the team and the record didn't reflect the potential of the team. And they decided that they were going to take a risk and throw some stuff into the middle of the table and see if they could push it. And I think you could do something similar with this team. However, the way this front office speaks about sustainable <laughs> winning, it's not going to yeah. happen. You know, if they don't go on a, a run of some kind between now and the trade deadline, this team will not be invested in in a serious way with upgrades, and then it will not make the playoffs. So, like, the next... I mean, that, you know, obviously, conceivably, it could. Maybe it's not right to speak in absolutes, but that's the way I see it right now. The The space between this moment and the trade deadline is absolutely massive for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I would give them a little more credit. I know that I've, like 2015, they were not the completely different circumstance with Anthopolis and Beeston, you know, being on the way out and being like, well, we're just going for it and getting admonished by Shapiro when he showed up for what they did. But also last year, you know, I think, and I mentioned this in the, the Kendall Williams uh, and Ryan Nota for, for two plus years of Ross Stripling, like that's, you know, that's a... That's a real prospect. That's a that's a, a one guy at least, probably two from your top thirty, uh, for you know a, a guy with term and some like, but but like that's clearly a win now move in a in a much more minor way than something really splashy. Travis Bergen for Robbie Ray was you know a little bit different, uh, but that's still you know a body who's become useful useful for the Jays and and uh, someone you know who can pitch in the big leagues. Uh, so they, you know, last year they made incremental moves that that helped them and helped them get to. And I, I hope I hope that that's at least available to them uh, and something they're willing to do. But I think obviously, just because there's urgency to do it sooner, the teams aren't ready to to you know have their prices come down. Uh, teams aren't ready to be sellers. 
you know, you just you have to ratchet up the, the, the quality of the guys you're offering. And yeah, that's going to be really tough for this this front office, I think. And understandably, but also, you know, that losing a prospect that you don't want to lose is is worse is, is much is much better to swallow than losing a season where you really have a lot going for you and a real obvious flaw and just not fixing that flaw. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the biggest question is going to be whether the Toronto Blue Jays front office sees it the same way as that. And like you said, they've made some strong incremental uh, trades at the trade deadline in 2016 and then again in 2020. But those teams were kind of in playoff or around playoff position. And if the Blue Jays hit this trade deadline at essentially 500, five and a half games out of the second wild card, something like that, uh, I'm curious to see what they'll do. And we're going to bring on our guest for today, someone who's probably talked about Blue Jays and talked about fan frustration more than almost anyone on the planet in the last couple of decades, and that is Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star. Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to tell you about our friends over at Commons. Commons is a documentary podcast from Canada Land. Host Archie Mann takes you right into the country's dark underbelly, uncovering stories of crime, corruption, and all manner of misdeed. Previous seasons have delved into Canada's addiction to oil, the powerful dynasties that rule this country, and cops that kill with impunity. Brought to you by Canada Land, this podcast will make sure you never look at this country in the same way again. This season, Commons investigates Canada's current obsession, real estate. Real estate is by far our biggest industry and often the only way in which Canadians can build any kind of wealth. And as the property mania of the last year has shown, people are willing to go to great lengths to get even a small piece of it. But our obsession with land is also the source of so many of our problems. From crime to corruption to segregation, Canada's history of real estate is dark indeed. Have a listen to the new season of Commons, Real Estate, wherever you get your podcasts. We're now joined by Mike Wilner of the Toronto Star, who feels like kind of the perfect person to talk to right now in the midst of so much Blue Jays frustration. I don't know if anyone has dealt with as many frustrated fans as Mike over the last decade. Before we get deep into that, Mike, we're professionals here, so I want to give you a chance to plug your podcast. For guys who haven't listened to Deep Left Field, there's lots of really in-depth episodes, multiple guests. Why don't you give us a sense of what's going on there um, and how that's kind of differed from all the day-to-day coverage you've done over with the Blue Jays. Ah, that's very swell of you, uh, Nick. Thank you for the the early promo opportunity. And I'm I'm new in this, you know, world of podcastageness, so so I don't quite know how it goes. I'm trying to figure it out as as I go along. But um, uh, yeah, Deep Left Field uh, is is the name of my. Toronto Star Blue Jays podcast, and it's so named for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it reminds me of of some of Tom Cheek's home run calls, and second of all, because the press box is in deep left field now <laughs> at Rogers Center, so yep. that's where we have to hang out. Um, and uh, and it, it sort of, you know, I sort of wanted to make it like I used to have a show called Blue Jays This Week uh, that we used to do when Sunday Night Baseball. Um, was on a little bit later, and had I had to fill the forty minutes between um, the end of whatever and the beginning of Sunday Night Baseball. So I, it would always be like 
an interview with the Jays player and some other story, and then there would be a nice uh, fun little kicker at the end. I can't always do the fun little kickers at the end because I don't have the access to the players anymore. Like I used to do 10 questions and, and mm-hmm. fun stuff like that. Uh, but that'll come back once we get back onto the field. But, but yeah, right now um, it's, it's odd getting used to the environment and the, the um, uh, I guess the, the autonomy of the podcast relative to a clock, because I think this last episode that just, uh, uh, dropped on on the 17th is almost two hours long um, most of them have been around an hour a buck 20 stuff like that but uh, I try to I try my best to get a blue jay on every week um, and talk about the team and then I try to find a couple of other guests who who have something timely to contribute like this week I talked to Riley Adams um, about his first couple of weeks in the major leagues and 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 um, how uh how things go for young catchers and and all the things they have to worry about before they even worry about their hitting. And I think as we speak, Adams is like two for 19 to start his career. Um, And I brought Chris LaRue on because I thought, you know, LaRue would know more than almost anybody else what it's like to be a reliever on the bubble of a big league team, what it's like, what, what like 70% 70% of the Blue Jays bullpen feels like right now. <laughs> that's, you know. maybe, that's maybe a bit low. But yeah, yeah, it might be. Even. <laughs> but I mean, all a, a lot of the guys in the Blue Jays bullpen are Chris LaRue. They're guys who got picked up on waivers, who got DFA'd, who, who you know, haven't gotten a, a real shot. And when they did, they've just been okay. Um, if that... So I thought LaRue would be great. And he did give some tremendous insight into that. And we also talked a little bit about Canada um, going out in the America's Olympic qualifier, unfortunately finishing fourth in a tournament where you had to finish in the top three to move on. Uh, but LaRue's phenomenal, always. And uh, and I talked to Ken Davidoff of the New York Post. Uh, originally, my idea was to talk to him because the Blue Jays are facing the Yankees. and He covers the Yankees, but he was on the Mets beat this week. So we talked about the fact that, you know, 30% of the Mets are former Blue Jays. Um, they got nine. They have nine ex-Blue Jays on the active <laughs> roster. Uh, but then we also talked about the sticky stuff because Ken is the guy who asked Garrett Cole that question that, that got the answer that has gone around the world a few times. Um, so that's the kind of thing we do over there. And, and I, I, um, I'll do a little monologue off the top, depending on how things are going. Sometimes it's shorter than others. I think it was a half hour this week, uh, just (laughs) (laughs) talking about the state of the blue Jays. And, and, uh, I think it's a way for people who used to connect with me that way, who, who are used to hearing me and, um, and who enjoyed it over the, you know, 30, Four years that I covered this team on the radio in some form or another um, to to get back to that and and uh, enjoy that again. So thank you for letting me talk about it. I hope people are enjoying it, and I'm always open to uh, suggestions as to what we could be doing better and what people want to hear. So before we started to start recording this, we were talking about this moment in Blue Jays bullpen anxiety and how that compares to other moments in Blue Jays history. One, I wanted to hear, you know, is there a time like this you can remember when you were covering on the radio, receiving all the animus that we're seeing on, and this is definitely not unprecedented, but it is also quite grim, and what stretches of Blue Jays history might 
be reminiscent of this grim, yeah, grim is the right word, quagmire we find ourselves in today. It, it is grim and it is quagmiric. Um, <laughs> it's important to remember, you know, as we speak, there are 95 games left and 20% of them are against the Baltimore Orioles. And I think you can run with this bullpen against Baltimore and be fine. Um, I think it's different when you're facing good teams, but obviously you can't have like a team that only can beat up against crappy teams and, and hope to succeed. Uh, you know, there have been, I, I don't know if it's been this sort of animus, uh, over the last 20 years, you know, and, and since I've been talking to the fans on the radio, um, but there's always been something. Remember, you know, I, I did, I did the post-game call-in show from 2002 to 2018, so 17 seasons. They were good twice in those 17 <laughs> seasons, Yep. right? So, so there was a lot of anger, a lot of animus, a lot of, a lot of fire the, the manager. I mean, I got more fire Gibby calls than any other calls over both his tenures with the team. You know, right up until like July 26th, 2015 it was fire Gibby fire Anthopolis they're terrible what are they doing they've been here too long and this is this team's awful you know 2013 was not dissimilar but the problem with 2013 and that was the year when they were the Vegas favorites to win the World Series in the offseason they had made the big trades the the you know what what we remember now as the Mark Burley trade but what was at the time the Josh Johnson trade um and the dicky deal um and and great things were expected from that team but because they fell so flat on their face so fast i think that it was just sort of a simmering anger for most of the season but the you know the beginning of april or by the end of april they were horrible and double digits out of the race and you know they were like 10 and 20 at some point mm -hmm. uh, they were so bad that they had an 11 game winning streak and they still finished in last place um but you know you just name the year and there's been there have been uh, angry disappointed fans and uh it feels worse now but it always feels worse in the moment um, it, it always, you know, the, the lessons you learn having done this for such a long time is that whatever you're in right now feels like the worst it's ever been. And, um, it's going to get better and it's going to get worse. Um, maybe, you know, maybe not in the same calendar year, but name the season. And there were people calling me to you know, remember the Vernon Wells for Tyke Redmond trade uh, call? <laughs> classic, a classic. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, name the season, and there were people flipping out. It, it feels different this year because every you know, the, this team has all the parts in place except for the bullpen, and I don't know if that's ever been the case over the course of the last couple of decades, but it, it does it does make it really, really tough to deal with. You mentioned that you fielded, you know, countless uh, fire John Gibbons calls. We're starting to see the the fire Charlie Monteau energy is building on the internet. It'd probably be building in the ballpark if people were in the ballpark. 
What is your assessment right now of where Charlie Montoya is at as a manager and whether he is, you know, to put it most simply, the right person to be leading the Blue Jays? Because that seems to be a ma- massive conversation topic for the fans. And like you said, the manager's always a conversation topic for the fans. But there have been a few moments this year where that has really come to the fore and some of them have been recent. Yeah, to to paraphrase the great Bobcat Goldthwaite, which I very rarely get the opportunity to do, so thank you. Uh, blaming Charlie Montoyo for this is like blaming the Burger King when you get a bad burger. He's not running the company. That's, that's fair enough. I know that Shy put out a piece the other day about how the bullpen management is is a hard thing to hang on him because you know we just talked about it. You know, a huge percentage of these guys are Chris Larue, not necessarily bachelor contestants or, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> put it but past them though. You never know. Someday, yeah, you don't want to limit. Ross Atkins always talks about not wanting to limit guys' ceilings, and if That's Anthony right. Castro <laughs> wants to go on the Bachelor, I'm not going to rule it out. Um, but you know, he doesn't have the tools to work with. But there there are other elements. For example. Uh, Stone and I were talking about the controversy, and I think it was a little bit overblown, to be honest, about him not getting himself ejected over that blown foul call. So <laughs> stupid. I mean, how is that? A, like, yeah, and I was trying to fight against it a little bit on, on social media, too. Look, when when Gibby got thrown out of a game, it was fun. But that's all it was. And you look, you know, you look at the shots in the dugout while he's ranting and raving. Um, and uh, he wasn't a, a dirt kicker, but he was a screamer. And the guys in the dugout are laughing at the show uh, and, and laughing at him a little bit. Um, I, I think a Lou Pinella and Earl Weaver. Who wants to see men in their 60s acting like four-year-olds? And nothing is going to change. You're not buying a call. You're not motivating your team. You're not showing them that you have their back by throwing a tantrum on the field. Replay has pretty much gotten rid of all those manager arguments. And, and uh, it's why they're so much fun when you see them. But that's all, all they are. They're a distraction. And... Honestly, I think it's a lot of it is that hockey mentality that fans seem to have up on this side of the border uh, where uh, a coach needs to light a fire under the team. I mean, someone suggested um, the other day, I think someone suggested to me that the, the Blue Jays just do a bag skate. They just drop their gloves and sprint around the bases for an hour. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the dumbest suggestions that I, I've I've heard in a long, long time. No, a manager making an ass of himself on the field doesn't do a thing. Not a thing. It's baseball. Try easier, not try harder. There's no winning battles in the corners. There's no wanting it more than the other guy. There's no getting after a loose ball. The pitcher has the ball. When he decides to throw, things are going to start. And when you're squeezing sawdust out of your bat because you're so jacked up, it doesn't help anybody. So no, 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 no. Please, no. <laughs> the weird thing about all of this to me, just especially speaking about you know your history of going through, you know, dealing with callers, is that like Gibby in the first era was like, oh, he's a terrible hothead. We hate this. He's fighting his players. And then it became, you know, he was he was disliked for a long time. Uh, and then suddenly became St. Gibby, 
for some of the reasons that he was disliked. And now a lot of the people who were calling for his head in that time are like, we need a manager like Gibby again. And it's just all very incoherent, I find. It's amazing. I love Gibby. I, I you know, like, I love the man. Um, and, and I think he was a terrific man. I believe he was the second best manager in Blue Jays history. Um, and, and he was great at running a bullpen. But you think he'd be able to run this bullpen? I mean, you can't use Jordan <laughs> Romano every day. Um, and Jordan but Romano he came... Throw, he might be throwing his bosses under the bus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Charlie <laughs> kind of did yesterday, and it was great. You know, and, and uh, Montoyo, in, a, in the post game yesterday, uh, was asked about the that great um, catch by Aaron Judge that took a two-run homer away from Kevin Biggio. Would have given the Blue Jays a 6-3 lead, I think, in the seventh. Um, and he said... Uh, he didn't say it didn't matter. I, I'm trying to get the quote right because I got it wrong. I threw an anyway in there on on Twitter, uh, and I changed that. But he said uh, he said we couldn't stop them, so he didn't think that that cha- that catch changed the game because we couldn't stop them. And that's not Charlie Montoyo saying um, I don't have faith in in the guys that I have. That's Charlie Montoyo saying I need some help. Get me some arms. And and it was great. Gibby would have been a lot less subtle than that, but uh, <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. Great to hear Charlie say it. Yeah, I think that a lot of people's nostalgia about Gibby has to do with yeah the man, perhaps more than the manager. Like he was a fun person to be around. The media liked him. That trickled down to the way the fans perceived him. Uh, like you said, he managed a blue bullpen. There were things about him as a manager to be recommended, but I think a lot of it was the character that people liked. And the character of Charlie Montoyo isn't hitting the same note with fans, but that's not necessarily important. Right, but here's the thing. Like you guys both said, the character of Gibby for the first 10 years one had fans wanting him fired. So I don't think that's what that's what it is that's endeared John Gibbons to the fans. I think it's two things. It's, it's A, they won. Uh, in 2015 and 16 and and gave, I would say, most currently living Blue Jays fans, like hardcore-ish fans, their only good memories of this team. Because, you know, you guys aren't old enough to remember well, uh, 85 to 93. Um, And and I think... Thank you, thank you for... Uh, shaving a few year, years off me there, but okay. How how old were you in '93? Uh, Thirteen. Oh, okay. Never mind. So yeah, you that's are. Way, no, you can remember as a sports yeah, so fan you when you're that well. age. No, that's for sure. formative. But I'm yeah, su- yeah, exactly. I'm suggesting that most of these the, the 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 larger group of the newer hardcore Blue Jay fans are like 35 and under. Um, but uh, and and now I have to do math. But uh, uh, um, ah, 35 and under, you could probably remember 30 and under. Um, but, but the other thing, besides the fact that they won, is because he was sort of the last survivor of 15 and 16. And, and he was something that, you know, when, when we watched them lose 95 games in 2019 could hold on to, oh, if only Gibby was still here, right? Or, oh, uh, Atkins and Shapiro ran him out of town or, or uh, all of that stuff. He, you know, there's, there's still that, um, the, the, 
the Shapiro Atkins uh, great loathing sort of went away this offseason and in the early part of the season and when they signed George Springer and they spent money on Ryu and stuff. But I, I think it's back now. Um, and there was an irrational dislike for uh, Atkins and Shapiro right from the beginning that there was nothing they could do about it, but they also got in their own way a lot once they could have fixed it. Uh, and I think a lot of fans see Gibby as the anti-Atkins Shapiro, and that's another one of the reasons that he's he's become sort of, um, you know, achieved sainthood in Blue Jays fandom. <laughs> Before we let you go, I know we, we've kind of spent a lot of this time lingering in this moment, which, as we've mentioned, is not the most fun moment for a Blue Jays fan. I want to cast it a little bit into the future, the near future. The trade deadline's coming up in just over a month. Let's say the Blue Jays improve from here, but are still, let's say, I don't know, three, four games out of a second wildcard spot. What would you, Mike Wilner, like to see them do from a additions perspective? obviously bullpen being part of that and how does that differ from what you think they'll actually do uh well i mean i'd like to see them put their best foot forward i'd like to see you know george springer's going to be back soon and and hopefully stay healthy and it's it's hard to like say hey in five weeks what would i do it, it depends on how they're playing uh, whether they're three or four games back of the second wild card or or not, it depends on how they're playing, um, what this what this run differential looks like relative to all the other teams in um, in the race, because that was the motivator to to change things in 2015. Now, obviously, we're not going to see a 2015 trade deadline. I don't think that uh, that this front office is interested in doing something like that. I mean, I know they're not, obviously, based on what Shapiro said in 2015, that he wouldn't have done what Alex did. Uh, but I don't think they're going to need to do things that drastic because, again, hopefully you'll have a healthy Springer. Hopefully you'll get a bolst, uh, bolster from Julian Merriweather coming back. Hopefully... Um, Thomas Hatch or Nate Pearson is up and in the rotation and contributing. Um, and the other one hopefully is in the bullpen, whether they want to do it or not. Um, but again, I would, I would support what the team has now, which is an offense that's good enough and a starting rotation that's pretty close to good enough to be a playoff team. And they need some arms. I'm not giving up the farm for a reliever. Um, you know, unless he's uh, young, controllable, can throw the ball through a brick wall and not going to walk the world. And those guys are really, really hard to find. Uh, but I also do think that, you know, when the road rises up to meet you, you have to take it. I don't know how many metaphors I just mixed there, but whatever. <laughs> um, you have to be adaptable enough and opportunistic enough to understand that, yeah, you might be a little bit ahead of schedule, um, and the, this might not be the track that you saw yourself on, but this team is putting itself on that track, so help. And I don't think you wait till the trade deadline. I mean, that's why I've advocated signing John Axford and David Robertson, and I know that there are also guys who got released or couldn't find jobs in the winter or were on waivers. Um, but I'd rather see John Axford 
and David Robertson throwing 98 and 95 with their history and with their understanding of and a you know demonstrated ability to pitch in the ninth inning than half of the guys who are up here right now. I like that they've added Patrick Murphy. I like that they've added Taylor Saucedo. Um, now you have to give them leverage innings because the guys who, you know, you, you, you can't keep running Tyler Chatwood out there. Uh, you can't keep running Anthony Castro out there. His, as I wrote in the start today, his ERA has gone up over three runs in his last two outings when he's only recorded two outs out of 10 batters faced and given up six runs. Um, these guys are turning into pumpkins and it's not because they're overworked. It's because they're pumpkins. And so you got to try whatever you can to, to support the rest of this team. It's not Charlie Montoyo who has to go out onto the field and make an ass of himself over a bad call to show the players that he has their backs. It's the front office that has to show the players they have their backs by bringing in some better arms. You don't have to give up your best, you know, finest meats and cheeses in order to do it. And you can still hold on to the the prospects that are going to keep you up on the top in minor league ra- rankings because that is important to these guys. But you got to help them. And 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 I think if you wait a month and you let this continue, um there's not going to be a point of doing it at the trade deadline. All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. And uh, we hope all our listeners check out deep left field. And I hope all my listeners check out this. We don't have to be competitors. We can work together in the podcast universe, gentlemen. Thank you very much uh, for having me. It's always great to, uh, to have another opportunity to to have an opportunity to rant and rave uh, (laughs) while not just talking to myself. So thank you. Great stuff from Mike Wilner. I'm not sure I appreciated his relatively lengthy takedown of my boy Anthony Castro, but uh, you know I'm I'm the lone survivor on Castro Island at this point. So there's only you know there's there's an expectation things like that are going to happen. Um, before we wrap up, we're going to look at the weekend series ahead, which is finally the Baltimore Orioles. Whew, we are in the latter part of June, and at last the Blue Jays get to take on the garbage Baltimore Orioles who are missing John Means, who has legitimately become a pitcher that you're scared to face. So now the Blue Jays are going to see Matt Harvey of a 7.85 ERA this year. Uh, Yeah, the desecrated corpse of Matt Harvey will be pitching. A couple other guys. Um, Old friend alert for this series, Freddie Galvis, who was probably charlie montoya's favorite person of all time like i sat in those manager meetings every day in 2019 and how great freddie galvis is would come up a ridiculous amount especially in proportion to how much people asked about freddie galvis like maybe you're thinking about a 0.35 questions about freddie galvis per day and you're hearing two or three great things about how he's the best guy you can possibly imagine but you know he was solid, and he was uh he had a couple good streaks, and he maybe he was um good for some of the younger uh, Spanish speaking players. But 
He's the sort of guy who I think for his career, he's decided I'm going to be a starter for a garbage team as opposed to being the utility guy mentor, which is probably more lucrative. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't yeah. fault him for that, but I, he would be great as a utility player for a really good team. Yeah, he w- and, you know, at trade deadline, he may still get that chance this year, I suppose. Um, but yeah, yeah the, I definitely remember the... the, the uh, the reputation that preceded him, Freddie Galvis, which I, I did not understand at the time, and, I, and he plays every day. <laughs> this guy plays every day. Like that's that's surprisingly big in uh, a lot of baseball circles. If you play <laughs> every day, you're a hero. Uh, yeah, the, with the Baltimore Orioles, like there's really not that much to preview. They're a very bad team that the Blue Jays should beat at least twice, uh, ideally three times. They could really use a sweep. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that that happens. But there's not a lot of guys on this roster to point to. The one thing that is worth paying attention to, I guess, is the top of the Orioles lineup is actually legitimately dangerous with Trey Mancini and Cedric Mullins up there. Cedric Mullins is a like a top five, top ten war guy this season, kind of out of nowhere. Like one of the better players in the American League, not necessarily going to be that all year. Speedy outfielder, a decent amount of power, gets on base a lot. Uh, Trey Mancini, great story. Uh, he's made his way back and is kind of as good as he's ever been. So when that top of the order rolls around, some nasty things could happen for the Blue Jays. But most of the time, you're watching guys who probably shouldn't be in the major leagues. And you'd like to see a Blue Jays team that has playoff aspirations, you know, kind of lay a beating on these dudes. You really, really would. And, you know, I, I, I hesitate to set it up where like, to, to be like, well, if they don't, then then that's it. I saw a little of that on Twitter. I don't know how serious it was last night. You know, you got to you got to have a good run against the, the Orioles and then the Mariners are up after that. Um, but, yeah, you really you really you really need it. You really could use it. And it's it, and if you don't, you know, you're just so much worse off for it. Uh, it it is an opportunity, much like much like the opportunity to improve the bullpen. It's it's there and it, it's for the taking. And or the uh, opportunity they had to win three games against the Yankees. <sighs> or that. <laughs> or that. We didn't even talk about the triple play, by the way. I, was, uh, do we have to? I don't <laughs> think we have to. I think we got through the so episode. It was so bad. It. I yeah. But yeah. It was it was horrendous. I, it it's crazy to me that they had that you know, the end of the game the previous night that was just this disaster. And then they just had an even worse disaster the first time around in, in the next game. It's like one of those things I know that they're not going to like learn from all their mistakes and instantly become better. Like it's an unreasonable expectation, but <laughs> seeing them make these horrible mistakes and then do something in the exact same vein, but worse instantly. Uh, yeah, it's not great. The Orioles... You know, they say winning heals a lot of wounds. We've talked about sort of the vibes with this team and whether that's an issue. If they are able to rattle off three wins here, which is by no means a guarantee and probably not even, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's probable, uh, but it is it is an opportunity. If they take that opportunity, yes. it would do them so much good and people would feel so much better about this team. Well, they'd still only be beating the Orioles, I guess. I'm sure there would still be naysayers, but yeah, just to... Just to get some positive progress, uh, you know, you, yeah, desperate, desperately need as desperately needed as it could be here in mid June. I'd like to this show to have a slightly different vibe next week, just in terms of 
some variety, you know? It's not even necessarily about being invested in the wins and losses. I just personally like something else different to speak about uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, to be able to bring a different kind of energy to it. So we're going to wrap it here. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Blue Jays Happy Hour. We hope you guys continue to tune in, give us reviews, find us on all your podcast platforms, all that good stuff, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>